Thank you, Norman, for reading that. Um, welcome, everybody, to this part of our service. So some people getting a little antsy because that got a little long there in the chapter. Um, but there's a lot in there. And if you didn't catch everything that was in there, read it again. Um, it's amazing. You can find these Old Testament scriptures, and they're right ready for us to read and learn from today. Thank you, Jordan, for the song you led this morning. Um, I asked Jordan to lead that again in closing. Um, and Dave, for your devotion on uh, Habakkuk. And I realized that it seemed to be flowing with um, what the Lord has laid on my heart this morning um, on this argument with God that we often have. Why this, Lord? Why are you putting me in this situation? Um, my message this morning is victims or victors in Christ. Who are we? And Ezekiel 18 here does a wonderful job explaining to me and hopefully to all of us what we should do about um, hard things that have happened to us. The world and history is full of terrible genocide, atrocities. People have been victims throughout the history of the world. Um, in the last 100 years, 20th century, they say 200 million people died from some kind of genocide or were killed. Um, ethnic cleansing, terrible, terrible. Now you think about that amount of people being killed by someone else. In China alone, there is, they're saying between 70, uh, 50 and 78 million killed during a, maybe a 10-year span um, called the Communist Culture Revolution, called the Great Leap. Think about that. How could you, one person be responsible for killing so many people? Um, in Russia, Joseph Stalin, they say between somewhere around 50 million people were, kill, were killed because of Joseph Stalin's um, purge and his uh, Ukrainian famine. We know about Hitler, what he did to the Jews. That's been broadcast, and we've seen some of the horrible atrocities taking place there. We hear about racism quite a bit right now. Hear about sexual abuse more than we ever have. Innocent children being hurt. We also re recognize there's probably been people abused right here this morning. So what do we do about these kind of things? How should we see these, this evil? It's actually a very popular subject right now, today in our world, and even in many churches. The news is full of stories that make, yeah, good stories, of people that have been abused or victimized. This has become our new social gospel. Society claims to have a lot of answers for victims. We hear a lot about victims. Um, we hear a lot about critical race theory, intersexuality, intersexuality, Me Too, Me Too movement, and the list goes on of words that we've probably never heard before and all of a sudden have popped up in the last 10 years. I'm not here to talk about that this morning. I'm going to leave that go, but I'm here to talk about what does the Bible say about these things? I want to make it clear. Christians and humans have been victims of other people's sins throughout history, and they still are today. 
There are many Christians here this morning who have been treated badly, who have been victimized, who have been hurt by others, who have been sinned by others. In fact, all of us have been victims of others in some sort of way. This victimization is always sin. Okay, I want to make it clear. It's sin. It's wrong. Um, and the problem, I think we probably know, is sin. It's not what the world uses as the problem, but I think Scripture is pretty clear that that is the problem. People sinning against someone else. In fact, that's actually what sin is. It's victimizing others. I want to be very clear, the Bible does have answers about sin. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. That's what this chapter is about. And I know this subject is a hard subject for many who have been hurt. Um, And I'm sure there's a lot of different opinions on how this should be talked about. But I want to make it clear, I, I know the Word of God, not my opinions, maybe not even how I preach it, but the Word of God is clear that there's some things... Um, about how to deal with these kind of things. I know how hard it is to give answers to a young boy who has to deal with some of the worst abuses a child could go through. I heard these stories. I cried out to God while, these bo- while the boys were telling me the stories. And I remember feeling like, what do we do next? What are the answers for this young boy who's been hurt in many, many ways? 12 years at camp, I've heard lots and lots of abusive victimization that took place. I also believe this morning I know a little bit about the struggle of a preacher standing before you and talking about what the Bible says about these things. Kind of reminds me of a story I read this week, reading through the sword and trumpet, maybe some of you have read this, about a preacher um, or about a dream, and I'm just going to read this, it's kind of an interesting um, not a true, but a dream here, about Paul coming into a pastor's setting. Some of you may have read this. Um, and this is, see if I can find it. Hmm, thought I had it here, yeah. This is what goes on in that pastor's setting. I like to think of old Paul. My, how he did preach. I read a dream about him the other day at a pastor's setting, and he met as usual on a Monday morning. One of the preachers were reading his paper, which he had prepared on the plea for modern thoughts at the pulpit, or something like that. And according to the man who had the dream, St. Paul stepped in through the door. The preachers were sitting about there in their tailored suits, immaculately dressed. And smiles on their faces as they looked up and saw this old warrior of the faith, and who was covered with bruises, bloody, and blood was running down his cheek. His garments were torn, his hair was disheveled, and his face was a trifle pale. And as he looked about at the circle before him, he said with utter astonishment, Men, where did you preach yesterday? Basically saying, you look too clean, you look like you haven't preached the hard truth. And I feel a little bit that way this morning. I feel like I'm going to be preaching about something that is going to be hard for many of us to hear. But I want to preach it like I believe the Word says. And I hope I don't leave this 
congregation to leave church like Paul did there, but if I do, um, I guess I want to be able to handle that too. Again, unless you hear, hear me wrong, when I get to the Bible's response on victims, I absolutely believe and know there have been many who have been victims of others. An evil way is probably too terrible to talk about, and I don't want to downplay that ever. I've heard many of these stories, and I want to be clear that people have been hurt by others. I want to make something else as clear this morning. If we don't believe the Bible has answers for our problems, even our biggest problems, we got a big problem. If the Bible can't give us answers to our problems, we do have a problem. And I want to say this also. Um, I've seen boys at camp who have succeeded. I've seen boys who have not succeeded. And almost inevitably, the ones who have succeeded have chosen to take truth of the Word of God and deal with their problems. And the ones who have not succeeded have tend, typically have said, I don't want to hear it. I'm not going to change. I'm going to keep the same heart I had. Um, a good friend of mine who went through camp, still meet with him um, occasionally, calls me, tells me what's going on, and almost every time I meet with him, he talks about what the Lord's doing in his life. He has a story that I wouldn't even want to repeat. It's been so bad. But he is steeped in the Word of God, loves the Lord, loves his family, and is determined to follow Christ the way he should. One more thing I think we need to understand is that if you will not look at what the Bible says about sin and sin committed to you, you will inevitably commit some of the same sins that were committed to you. And I've seen that. I know that's a hard, hard thing to say. But when we do not deal with the sin that's committed to us, the way the Word asks us to do it, the chance of us in bitterness to commit it to other people is always there. And I've seen that with boys at camp over and over again until they got a hold of their heart and what the Lord wanted to do in their lives and change what needed to happen in their lives, they committed some of the same things to others that were committed to them. So let's look at the, let's get, open our Bibles up now, and we're going to take a look at Ezekiel 18. Let's see if this starts. I think we'll let that go. Um, and there's some Wonderful truths in Ezekiel 18 that I think we'll find um, for answers on how to deal with um, some big problems. What does the Bible say about victims? I found one verse in the Bible that talked about victims, um, and that's in Psalm 10, verse 14, and this is what it reads. But you, O God, see the trouble, and this is an NIV, by the way, but you, O God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. I believe a lot could be said about those verses. I'm not going to go into those verses. But a lot could be said about what God does um, for victims. The Bible also talks much about how to treat others. And I think this is so important in a society where a lot of people are telling us as a church how to treat others. 
who've been victimized. Micah 6.8, one of my favorites. He has shown thee, O man, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require thee to do, just, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. The Bible also gives us much insight on a bigger problem when it comes to dealing with sin. Now listen to Proverbs 19, verse 3. The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Too often, too often, we blame God for our problems when sometimes it's our own. Be careful with that. He's not saying sin done to us was our fault, but he's saying we often complain to God about things that are our fault, and I think we need to be careful with that. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 to 10. The heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his way and according to the fruit of his doing. This morning, I'd like to look at the passage of Ezekiel 18. And hopefully it will give us some insight on this. Ezekiel 18 is direct words of the Lord given to Ezekiel by the children of Israel and also for us today. You look at verse 1 there. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel. Ezekiel wrote this to a distraught group of people he was complaining about, who were complaining about the hand God gave them. And Ezekiel gives his response. I'd like to give us a little history here on Ezekiel. and might give us a little background and context of this chapter. Sometimes the problem with Old Testament um, scriptures is we don't have the context of it. Well, Ezekiel was in Babylon at this time, um, and he was taken captive in 597. There was three captivities. One was in 605 B.C., and then 597, and then I think in 580 sometime, um, you had the children of Israel, captured by the Babylonians, and taken into captivity. Ezekiel ended up in that second group of people. Um, he was the second part of the exile to, the Babylon, uh, to Babylon. And while in exile, he was given a message. Now, here you go. He's in trouble. Life is not very good for him. He's in Babylon. And in case you think everything was nice in Babylon, it was not. Um, he is taken away from his home. I don't know how old he was. He was married at that time because we find out later his wife, was, his wife died while he was in captivity. Um, and he's taken into captivity. And the Lord comes to him and says, I got a message for you. And I want you to preach to the children of Israel that are here in Babylon. Now, just for um, reference, Jeremiah was in Judah yet preaching to the children of Israel that were not in exile yet, and the Lord was telling him the same things that he was telling Ezekiel to preach to them. them. They were um, contemporaries. Jeremiah was preaching in Jerusalem. Ezekiel was preaching in, in Babylon. And it's really interesting, if you look at Jeremiah 17, 9, or, yeah, you see, um, no, not Jeremiah 17, um, if you look in Jeremiah, you're going to see the same proverb that we're going to read that Norman read this morning was read by Jeremiah also. And Jeremiah was telling the people in Jerusalem the same thing. This proverb that you're using is not good. Um, so you have Jeremiah preaching in Jerusalem. You have Ezekiel preaching in Babylon. And they're preaching the same thing. What are they preaching? What was the message? We can find the message in verse 4. Here's the message. Um, message isn't about victims. The message is this. The soul who sins, he will die. 
Okay? So the message is about sin. Both prophets had the same message. Another thing I'd like us to note, if you look at the chapters, and you can just go back and look at the first verse in most of these chapters, especially when you get chapter, well, chapter 6, 7, then 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. What do you see in each one of these beginning verses? It says what? Somebody. The word of the Lord came. So it's clear. Ezekiel is getting these words from the Lord. Not, John's not just reading this. Ezekiel didn't just make it up. He got it from the word of the Lord. And in the chapter this morning that we're going to look at, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. And we are hearing those words when we read Ezekiel 17. And they're for us today. And guess what? They were as relevant back then as they are today. It was about 2,700 years ago. Um, Very relevant for us today. If you've heard of victims back then, you hear of them today. If you heard of sin back then, you have sin today. It's the same message, same story. And it's for us today. That's the exciting thing. We can read this. We can learn from it. And hopefully um, we can take this passage and put it to practice. Word of the Lord came to me again saying, also, notice the word is what? Capitalize. From, that means what? Teachers, by the way, thank you teachers for teaching. You got such, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed that we have a church that has so many good teachers in, um, and that want to teach. You teachers, why is the word capitalized? Or anybody? Why is it capitalized? Any English teachers? Because it's God's word. It's, it's God himself giving it. Okay? Um, this morning I'd like to go through Ezekiel 18 and hear what the Lord can tell us about victimhood, sin, and abuse. We see God's truth stated in verses 3 to 4. I'm going to start off with the first point. God's truth is stated. Um, and what was his truth in verses 3 to 4? I'm just going to read them. As I live, saith the Lord, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine, and all souls of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So God's truth there was the soul... That sinneth, he, and I think the NIV says, he shall die. Okay, very clear. If you sin, you will die. In fact, you ever wonder why everybody, why we die? Everyone dies. Why do we die? We die because of the sin of Adam. No, because of our sins. We still are dying because of our sins. People are still dying. Everyone has sinned. We are all sinful. And we die because of our own sin, not because of Adam's. Um... It's important we recognize this message as stated from God. It will come back to this truth after we look at what... We're going to come back to what was... Um, what was he talking about, that parable there. In verses 2, we, we will look at the sinner's delusion declared. Point number 2. The sinner's delusion declared. Now we're going to go back to the declaration, to that parable. And what was the parable? 
interesting parable. Same parable you read in Jeremiah that Jeremiah is telling the people. This isn't such a good parable here. Parable is this. The fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. We're in captivity because of our parents' problem. Was that true? They weren't in captivity because... Was Daniel in captivity because of his parents' problem? Yeah, he was. So it was at least partially true. But why is Ezekiel arguing about that and saying it's not true? Let's look at it a little closer. You see, the Bible doesn't define us as victims. And I think the problem here is, what, and what does Ezekiel say? He says, verse 4, let's see what he says. Behold, all souls are mine. The souls of the Father also are the souls of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So the parable was true, and yet it was convincing the people that they don't have to do what? Deal with their own sin. Okay? I don't know if the parable started that way. Um, and it became so popular that in Jerusalem and in Babylon, they were using this. It was a mime. It was something that was just part of their culture that we talked about. We can't help it. Our parents did this to us. And we probably have some mimes like that today um, where we say we can't help or may sound the same way. One, one I've thought about, it, and I know this one may not be a good one, but you hear um, we shouldn't, we, we can forgive, but we can't forget. That is true. But I think sometimes that quote is used wrongly. Or I think we take that quote and make it use, use that quote for whatever we want to use it for. So we've got to be careful. But anyways, God is saying, we don't need to go to that quote, but let's go to this quote here. Ezekiel, through God, is saying, this is a bad parable. This parable is not right. And he lets it lay. And he goes back and he says, we're going to talk about sin. Jeremiah 16, 9, the heart is deceitful. You see, the Bible doesn't define us as victims, but as perpetrators, as criminals, as ungodly and sinful. I'll make that clear. The Bible does not define us as victims. You will find very little here in the Word of God. I know this doesn't sound well for us who've been hurt, which has been most of us. But the Bible talks more about our sin, us being criminals, us being perpetrators, us being sinful, than he does about someone else being and I know that's hard, but that is truth that we have to get and understand that this thing about sin is about me. Now listen, and, and we are in a society where we don't talk much about this anymore. Um, but the Bible in Jeremiah 16, 9, the heart is deceitful. Romans 3, we are very sinful. We just went through Romans 3. Ephesians 4, the mind is futile. We are sinful beings. We have to get that in our minds. Not other people. Yes, other people are too, but let's get our focus off of other people and get our focus on me. What is am I doing that is doing, what am I doing wrong to others? Back in the Puritan era, they, did, they talked a lot about sin. Sin isn't very easy to talk about. If you don't believe it, come up and preach what I'm preaching today. Um, it's not an easy subject to talk about. John Bunyan said this, but it used to be a little more okay to, to preach on sin than it is today. John Bunyan, who wrote um, Pilgrim's Progress, said this. Now listen, I, when he said this, I kind of gasped and was like, ah, come on, made me cringe a little bit. He said this, the best prayer I ever prayed had enough of sin to damn the whole world in it. 
Wow. What do you mean by that? He said, the best of me is still enough to damn the whole world. That's what he thought about his sin. How many of us think the same way about my sin? That's not me very often. I still think I'm a good person, at least mostly. He understood, like so many Christians don't understand today, that we are very sinful. The Bible doesn't spend much time talking about our good, but our sinfulness. hate to tell you that. That's true. The doctrine of corruption of man is the most minimized Christian doctrine, and preachers don't want to preach about it because it goes totally against the way we think about ourselves. That's a quote. I'm not sure who I got it from. In verse 4, we get the real load. No one sinner wants to hear, but an important one for us all, since we're all sinners, here's the theme of the whole chapter and maybe the theme of the whole book. He who sins must die. Everyone belongs to God, and every soul that sinneth shall die. This is what every preacher should be preaching. In fact, this is what every parent should be telling their children. I don't know if I should tell the story, but... um, I'll say it. I won't say who it was, but this young boy was at, his, was at a store one day, and his father taught him at a very young age that we're made sinful. And a tourist came up to him, and they were, I don't know how they were talking, and he told this tourist that, yeah, I'm a bad boy. I do some bad things. I don't know how they got there. And she's like, no, you're a good boy. You do good. He said, no, I am a bad boy. I do bad things. We as parents need to teach our children they're sinful. Now, this boy didn't know it, that he really was sinful. He still in his heart thought he was, but he was at least taught in his mind. We need to get it across in ourselves and in our children and people around us. We are sinful beings. Everyone belongs to God and everyone has a choice. The, deep, <clears throat> the default position for all sinners is to deny their sins and blame others. No one wants to feel guilty, so they ultimately blame someone else. Believe that? Our default position is to deny I'm guilty and blame someone else. You don't believe that? Let's turn with me to Genesis chapter um, 3. Very familiar passage. I'm just going to read it quickly. And we know how it started, um, how this sin thing started. Um, Verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Okay, this is Adam, after he sinned. What's he say? Lord, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, here it is, this is the load for all of us. The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me, she gave me the cheek gave of the tree, and I did eat. The woman's fault. Oh, did he really blame the woman there? The woman who you gave to me. He's blaming who? God. Now, in case you women think you're perfect, this is what the woman said. The woman who, um, and the Lord said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. That sound familiar? Default position. I believe the biggest problem with this problem is Satan is taking a hit at God's greatest gift. That's redemption in the gospel. Now think about this. The gospel begins with what? 
What does the gospel begin with? Us admitting we are sinful. And if we are not sinful, the gospel cannot become a part of us. We are desperately wicked. All religions grant man some goodness, and their goodness can somehow save them. Christianity refutes this thinking and says our goodness is as filthy rags. Only Christ can save me. This is contrary to all human thinking. We all think we are somewhat good, and any bad we have is a problem someone else has. The starting point of the gospel is Romans 3.21. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now think about this a little bit. If, a sinners, if sinners aren't sinful, or if all problems come from someone else, we don't need the gospel. We don't need a Savior. What does a Savior do? Somebody? What's a Savior do? That's an obvious... I mean, when I ask you, it's an obvious question. I expect you to be able to answer it. A Savior does what? He saves. He can't save us from somebody else's sins. He can't save us from other people's problems. He saves us from our problems. Okay? So a Savior... Our Savior can't save... Yeah. But our Savior is saving us of our sins. Right? So the gospel is destroyed when we do not understand that it is us that are sinful. If the sinners aren't sinful, or if our, our problems have come from others, we don't need the gospel. Are we surprised, then, that Satan would create this disillusion? The illusion. Of course he will. The idea that we are not sinners, or our sins are someone else's fault, and that I'm not responsible is a direct hit on, good, on the good news of salvation. Yes, there are sins others have committed to us, towards us. That will affect, and that do and will affect us, but one has to take responsibility for our sins. We are ultimately responsible for our sins, and that's exactly what Ezekiel is saying. Let's quit blaming others for our sins. I love what it says in Lamentations 3, 21 and 25. Because of the mercies we are not consumed. I'm going to, uh, I don't have time to get in, read that. A Christian should never want to be a victim, but they should be the most grateful, thankful, joyful people. Why? Because of God's mercies, we're not consumed. Isn't that neat? You want something to read? Read Lamentations 3, 21 to 25 this week. A, <clears throat> listen to what Ezekiel says in, in Ezekiel 33, 11. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his ways and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will, ye, why will ye die, O house of Israel? The soul who sins will die. We will not die eternally for anything anyone has done to us, but for our own sins. Next point, God's truth is illustrated. And you remember Norman read, he didn't read, he skipped three sections. And you have in that three sections, and I'm not going to, don't have time to go over it very Quick, uh, very much here, but in that three sections, he gives an illustration of three different men. And I think the illustration may be of Hezekiah, Manassas, and um, Josiah. Three men. Hezekiah was a good king. His son was a bad king. His, Manasseh's son was a good king. And who was responsible for each one of those? He makes it very clear. And he also gives the, so he gives the gospel of how we should live in those three sections. We are responsible for our own. We can't go back and say, my parents 
were bad, and that's why I'm bad, or my parents were good, and now I'm going to be good, and I don't need, I can do whatever I want. That's what he's saying in that illustration. So he gives the illustration. Um, <clears throat> we're also called to not only take responsibility for our sins, but to live righteously. And he gives those clear, three different times, he tells you how to live. And you can take, you can, a sermon could easily be made on these lists of ways to live righteously. We not only see God's truth illustrated, but we see a clear defeat of the sinner's delusion. And yet, okay, it's the next point. We have God's truth is illustrated again, and we have sinner's delusion is defended again. So look what they say after Ezekiel reads this, or says this, um, verse 18. But his fathers will die. Okay, verse, verse 19. Yet you ask, why does the son not share the guilt of his father? Since the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to keep all my decrees, he will surely live. Now that was the children of Israel saying, wait a minute, why does the son not share the guilt of his father? Isn't that interesting? They're saying, he needs to share the guilt of his father. No, he doesn't. Ezekiel said, no, he don't. He will not. We're not going to make him. The guilt of our father is not passed down to the son. God does not look at my dad's sins and blame me for it or take responsibility. Now, do things happen to us because of our parents' sins? Yes. Do we pay the consequences of a parent's sins? Yes. But God is not himself going to make us guilty for anything that our parents did. And he's not going to take any of our parents' righteousness and say, you are righteous now. It is our own responsibility. Sinner's delusion is defended. So the children of Israel come back with another excuse, and, and they try to say, look, God, that's not right. You need to make children responsible, because back then, the children were responsible, ended up having paying consequences. Well, today, too, pay consequences of their parents. And they're telling God, you need to do that. Children of Israel said, the way of the Lord is not just. Doesn't that sound familiar today? We ultimately blame God for our problems. We tell God, I can't help this. You put me in this situation and these people around me. This is not my fault. I am not like this because of what other people did to me. Because you allowed this to happen to me, it's your fault. This is your fault, God, not my fault. You are not a just God. That's what the children of Israel are saying here. But despite my excuses and warning, God didn't give up on me. He doesn't on you either. And we come to the next point, verses 26 to 28. Don't have time to read it. Then we see God's truth offered. And here, if you want to see redemption story in the middle of the Old Testament, you see it in verses 26 to 28. This doesn't make sense. God will save a sinner who doesn't deserve to be saved. He says, if you sinned all your life and you make it right before you die, what will happen? You'll be saved. Do we believe that? Did Jesus say the same thing to the man on the cross next to him? Does that make sense? That doesn't make sense. That's not good, is it? I want to work for mine. And then the next man who worked for his salvation all his life, and all of a sudden he dies, a sinful man, unregenerated, he dies. That doesn't make sense. And that's what they're complaining about. But that's redemption. That's the redemption story for me and you. We are sinful. We don't deserve anything. And yet, Christ died for me. And I can be saved. 
Why does God forgive the wicked man who was wicked all his life, and how can he overlook his sins? Now think about this. Why does he... Know the story of the publican and the sinner? Why does he not allow the Pharisee, but he accepts the publican? I think we know this. Because the heart change. And that's what God's asking us to do. Change our hearts. He's not asking us to perform. He's not asking us to, to do everything right. But he's asking us to get a changed heart. And I saw it with boys at camp. The boys who were willing to change their heart. Not go back to everything mom and dad did to me. Not go back to all the abuses and all the hard things that happened to me. But were willing to let God change their heart. And were willing to admit what? What do we need to do? Admit their own sins. Not their parents' sins. Those were the ones who God took and changed their hearts. That's who it is for us today. If we're willing to admit our sins and humble ourselves before God, God can only forgive the sinner because Jesus Christ bore our sins. He can only forgive those who humble themselves and come to Christ in repentance. We are all unrighteous and need Christ. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He cannot and he will not forgive us if we are too proud to admit our sins. And not the sins of those that others did to us, but our own sins. When we're willing to humble ourselves before God and do like the thief on the cross, do like the publican did, and do like every Christian who is born again does, admit their sins, God will forgive us. When we turn from our sins, we humble ourselves, God will forgive us. That's the only way. Other than that, we can't stack up enough of righteousness. We need to take our focus off of other people's sins and look at our sins. This chapter doesn't end with this. And I'm just going to read the last verses. Um, the sinners hang on to their delusion. They don't give it up after the rebuttal three times. And they say, I'm going to hang on to my sin. Or I'm going to hang on to my complaint against God. Which is sin. And I'm not going to admit my sin, but I'm going to blame other people. They never give up. But I want to bring just one note in here. There was a young man who was listening to Ezekiel at the same time that Ezekiel was preaching this. And it looks like the children of Israel, none of them listened to Ezekiel. But I think we know the young man who did. That was Daniel, right? He was preaching to Daniel, and Daniel was willing to quit looking at his parents' mistakes and the children of Israel's mistake and become right with God himself. And the Lord did wonderful things in his life. But let's just look at the sinner's delusion. I'm just going to end with this, verses 29 to 32. Um, and this is just a plea, okay? I'm going to let the Lord work in your life as you read these verses. A plea to you to let the Lord work in your life and don't follow the children of Israel and what they did. Um, I know it's kind of a negative note to end, but this is how Ezekiel chapter 28 ends. Verse 29. Yet saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal, O house of Israel. Are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions. No iniquity shall, no iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, 
saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live, and ye shall live. Let's kneel together for prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we know that you are a good God. We want to trust that and we know that you loved us and cared about us and you see every um, thing that's been done to us. You also know our sins and our um, evil, wicked ways and you have given us the opportunity to come to you and be cleansed. And thank you so much for Jesus Christ and for his cleansing in our hearts for the sin that I've committed. God, I pray that you would continue to help me and help each one of us here at Weavertown to, to reach to you in repentance um, for the evil in our hearts. Thank you for Jesus again, and thank you for the group here. Thank you that um, we can be gathered like this. Just pray as we go about our week, um, we can look to you for um, strength, for guidance, um, for truth in your word. Um, just thank you for what you have done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.